This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk. Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, prevention, fitness, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Dennis. I think you're going to really like this episode today. Uh, I am talking with Rachel Gregory, who has a master's degree in nutrition and exercise physiology. She uh, is well known in this space just for uh, specializing in nutrition, strength training, conditioning. Uh, She is an author of the book, 21 Day Ketogenic Diet Weight Loss Challenge. And she also hosts her own podcast um, called Metflex and Chill. (laughs) Uh, So Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So anything in that introduction that I missed that you want to throw in there? Um, no, I think you, pr- I think you pretty much covered all the, the main things. Very um, good. Yeah. So I always like asking my guests just to, you know, so the audience can know a little bit more about them. Just tell us, I guess, a little bit more about you, maybe how you got started in the health and wellness industry, and then maybe what led you to, to become a trainer and even, you know, start your own podcast. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I grew up playing sports, uh, my whole life. I was, um, super into basketball, softball. Those are like my two main sports throughout, you know, high school. Um, I thought that I was going to go on to play basketball in college and I ended up getting injured, um, my junior year. So that was, that was a bummer. I had to get surgery and I missed my whole junior season and AU season. So, that, that just didn't happen. Um, and I kind of need to figure out what I wanted to do, um, going into college. And I figured, you know, the next best thing to being an athlete could be treating athletes. So I, um, went to the university of Miami. I got my undergrad in athletic training and sports medicine. Um, and while I was there, I picked up triathlons. Um, it was honestly just cause I was uh, missing the competitive aspect of, of sports. And I figured it would be fun to try something new. So I got into triathlons there, started paying attention a little bit more to my nutrition, um, started taking nutrition classes that were within, um, my, you know, undergrad degree within sports medicine. We took mostly athletic training classes, but we also had some nutrition classes in there too. And I started getting really, really into nutrition. Um, and I was like, dang it. I wish that this would have been my, uh, my major. Um, but I was already kind of too deep into athletic training. I still did enjoy athletic training. Um, but I, I knew that I wanted to pursue nutrition further. So I ended up going and getting my master's degree at James, James Madison university, um, in nutrition exercise physiology while I was working as an athletic trainer there. Um, and that's where I, where I really started to go down kind of the nutrition rabbit hole, um, and also got more into exercise physiology and training. Um, I, put triathlons on hold and picked up CrossFit. Um, so that got me in more to the strength training side of things. Um, and I actually ended up doing the first study looking at the ketogenic diet in non-elite CrossFit athletes. Um, so that was for my master's thesis and we can chat about that if you want. Um, and that was a two-year program and and the study was very successful. It kind of propelled me into the world of keto. Um, and this was, this was back in 2014. 
2015, um, when I first started the study. So right when keto was kind of starting to get popular in like the mainstream. Um, and so coming out of grad school, I, I really just wanted to pursue it further um, and learn all I could about it. And I actually adopted like a lower carb keto lifestyle for myself. Um, and then I just went down that rabbit hole for a few years, started working with clients, uh, wrote that book, like you, you mentioned, um, kind of got to this point where I was really, really far down, uh, the rabbit hole with keto. I, that's what I say all the time, like going way far down and kind of in a place where it was actually just a little bit detrimental to my own progress in terms of, you know, body composition changes and things like that. And so I, I took a step back and, you know, at that point I was kind of had this carb phobia. So I was, went from, you know, all the way to the end of the spectrum where carbs are bad and like, you should never eat them and blah, blah, blah. Um, and quickly realized that that's not the case for most people, especially women. Um, and so that kind of brought me into where I'm at now in terms of metabolic flexibility, which I believe is very, very important in terms of kind of having that as more of an end goal in the sense of, you know, using keto, using fasting, using, um, a low carb diet, you know, for the benefits that it has, which it has many benefits, but for most people, um, especially if they're looking to change their body composition, especially for females going, you know, strict keto forever, it might not be the best idea. Um, but you can still benefit from that. So my practice, my coaching practice, and, um, my programs are, are all based off of or gear around women who have gone down keto a little bit, gone down that rabbit hole a little bit, and they're looking to, um, have a little bit more of a balanced lifestyle. Um, and also, you know, focusing on changing their body composition, building muscle, all of that. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, I know that was a little bit of a long intro, but I will oh. let you, let you ask a question. <laughs> sure. No, you're, you're fine. So I, I want to back up a little because, um, you know, having, getting a, a master's degree in nutrition and all that. I mean, um, I would think they're probably, you know, not pushing keto, uh, and, and maybe for people who lose, you know, is a good weight loss strategy, but certainly not for athletes. You know, I hear that all the time. Well, if you're an athlete, you know, you, you have to have carbs. And so at what point, maybe in your own career, cause you mentioned you did triathlons and all that. Did you like, how did you decide, how did you open that door to keto? Was it just you personally? And then you started digging into it. Um, because you know, most of the mainstream doesn't push that. So when did you discover that? Yeah. So that was when I was getting my, um, masters, um, basically my advisor, he was, he told us for our thesis study, it was a two year study into the research and look in the literature, like what's not there when it comes to nutrition and exercise and like find something that you're interested in and that you can, you know, pursue a study on that, you know, might not are, might have been, not, might not have been done already. And I just came across keto as something that I don't even really remember exactly how I came across it, but I found a book and I started reading. I was just like super interested in, in all of it. Um, and so I started adopting it for myself, started trying it out. And I noticed benefits myself, um, just from like less food focus throughout the day. My energy levels were a little bit steadier throughout the day. I wasn't having like those afternoon crashes. Um, I remember I used to like take naps under my desk, like the first year of my master's degree, I used to take naps under my desk. And I started to realize like that, that wasn't happening. Um, as I started, as I developed, um, started lowering my carbs. Um, and that it came to a point where 
for me, I was only doing CrossFit as just kind of a, a quick workout during the day. Like I was very busy getting my master's degree. I was working as an athletic trainer. So my hours were crazy and CrossFit was really just my outlet to get like a quick, you know, a few days a week, get a quick workout in. So it wasn't by any means like aiming for performance or, you know, being any like elite at that, at that point. Um, but with, you know, keto itself, I got a lot of benefits from it myself. Um, but like I said, and that's where I, I work with a lot of women who they notice all these benefits, even body composition changes in the beginning. Um, but then they go so far down that road. And sometimes there can be some things that are not, um, it stops working for them. Right. And so that's where I, I got to, I got to a point where I just wasn't, wasn't working for me anymore. Um, but I, I came to this point where my, I guess my mind and my psychology was kind of so carb phobic and afraid to introduce carbs back in that I struggle with that. Um, but yeah, for, for me, it was really just diving into the literature for my study and getting super intrigued by all the benefits that keto had with other, you know, with the brain, with, um, you know, it obviously developed as a, a treatment for epilepsy. So there had to be something there. If it can treat such a, you know, a, a disease like this, like th there's something behind that. Right. And so, um, that really just kind of was super, super interesting to me and, and what brought me kind of to, to adopt that, that lower carb, um, lifestyle. Okay. Um, well, I want to stay on that for athletes while we're kind of talking about that for just a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I did CrossFit for, I don't know, four or five years. I don't really do it much anymore, but there was a time when I was doing it where I was strict keto. Um, I probably was strict mm. keto for about a year doing CrossFit. I remember when I went keto, it took me, gosh, probably three months, three to four months of being strict keto, uh, to get me back to my baseline. Um, you know, cause I, I struggled there for mm -hmm. a while until, you know, I guess my body got really fat adapted. And then once I got there, I, I did fine. Uh, and I could even, I remember being able to do a CrossFit workout, you know, as the listeners know, those are very intense workouts completely in a fasted state. Uh, and I'd be fine. Um, but it just, it took me a while to, to, to get there. Um, and so you, you know, did a study about that. And so kind of on that note, just maybe what are the pros and cons of doing strict keto for an athlete? Yeah, sure. So with the study, um, so the study was, it was only a six week study. Um, it might seem like a, a very small amount of time within like having two years to do this, but that was actually, um, when people like really think about the process that goes into the research, like there's a lot of stuff that you have to do beforehand and after. So, a six week study within a two year period is actually pretty standard. Um, so just kind of prefacing that, like this was only six weeks. So like you said, it took you three months to get really adapted, right. To get back to baseline. Um, but with this study, it was really kind of assessing the body composition changes within non-elite CrossFit athletes. And when I say that these were kind of just your average Joe, like moms and, and dads going to a CrossFit workout, like three or four times a week. And their main goal was to actually lose some body fat. Um, it wasn't necessarily to, you know, get better at CrossFit or go to the games or anything like that. So I always preface that with this study. Um, so with, with an athlete like that, it's really, it really comes back to, first of all, like what's your goal, right? Cause there's a range of athletes, like it's a range of where you're coming from. So with that individual person, um, there's definitely going to be pros and cons for obviously taking out carbs, especially with such a glycolytic sport like CrossFit, but we also have to kind of assess, okay, what is that person? Like what, what's their main goal? Right. And where, what are they doing? Right. Because we know with CrossFit too, CrossFit can be a, an intense workout, but also like going into a CrossFit gym, we know that, you know, 
90% of the CrossFitters in average gyms are probably just like your average Joe, right? They're not necessarily like elite of the elite. Um, and within that too, we have to also think about like the amount of time that you're actually doing a Metcon, right? So for me, for example, my, the CrossFit classes that I used to go to, I don't, I don't do it much anymore, but it was an hour, hour long workout, but that hour long workout was not me like working in a glycolytic state, like super, super intense the whole time. Maybe that was like the last 10, five, 10 minutes at the end, there was a lot of skill work, right. And strength work in the beginning in that first like half hour. Um, and at least that's what I've seen for most, for a lot of CrossFit gyms that they, they differ. Right. Um, so that's really also what you have to think about when it comes to athletes and, you know, the pros and cons of different dietary approaches, because it's all going to come back to like, first of all, what's their primary goal? Like, is their primary goal to change your body composition is CrossFit, um, something that they're doing a few times a week and looking to get other goals or other benefits beyond just, um, the performance side of it in CrossFit. Like, are they looking to, um, you know, regulate their blood sugar throughout the day? Are they looking to be more focused at work? Are they looking to have more energy throughout the day? Not just within that workout. Um, so that's one, one thing I always like, just make sure that we kind of bring it back. Like what is the main, what is the primary goal for that person? Um, so if someone is more elite, right. And their, their goal is to actually get better in their performance and get better at the sport of CrossFit. And they're look, they're not necessarily looking to, change their body composition as their primary goal, then I would say that following a ketogenic diet probably is not the best idea because you are going to have some hindered performance, um, until you do get very adapted. And for some people that can take months for some people, it doesn't even happen. Um, so that's kind of where I've, I've come to like understand is really throughout my time working with all different types of clients, all different types of athletes. It's like, all right, we really need to assess what the main goal is here. And also so many people react differently to, um, some, some two people who have the same goals and the same lifestyles, they, one person might do amazing with a, a lower carb approach and then another person might not. <laughs> so it's all just kind of like, where are you coming from? Also metabolic health as well. And like I mentioned, blood sugar regulation, insulin sensitivity, you know, all of the, those things play into how you're going to respond. So hopefully that, that answered your question. Gotcha. Okay, well, let's dive in a little bit uh, deeper into keto specifically for women, because I know that's um, mostly what you see. I love the keto diet, especially for the clientele that I typically see, because when people come to see me, especially as a new patient, they're almost always, you know, they're not elite ath athletes. I mean, they're almost mm -hmm. always overweight, insulin resistant, uh, maybe even already type two di diabetes. And so I can reverse all that with keto. Um, hopefully my goal is to eventually get them to the point of having that metabolic flexibility, adding carbs later. We can talk about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I love for people to get started on keto, but all that being said, you hear all these things specifically as it pertains to women about, well, keto is not good for women, especially long-term or, uh, women should cycle carbs depending on, you know, where they're at in their menstrual cycle, you know, so, so let's talk about that. I mean, maybe what are what are the pros and cons of keto specifically when it comes to, to a woman? Yeah, sure. So again, this also to preface, it's, it's going to be, you know, very individual as well to that female, but for, for women in general, we know that women, you know, definitely have more, I like to say sensitive hormonal responses than men do. Right. And so sometimes with keto, um, it can be a great approach, um, for a shorter period of time, um, for men, they can typically go longer and, and re reap the benefits 
a longer period of time, but for women, um, the biggest thing comes down to like that overall stress load, right? Because with stress being one of the biggest thing that people don't think about, um, that in itself, like going on a ketogenic diet, um, it is a stressor to the body, right? So, you know, it challenges your body. It challenges different mechanisms within your body. Um, especially if you've never gone low carb or keto before you're not like used to using ketones for fuel. So you do have to go through that adaptation period. Um, but with all that being said, I personally think that with, you know, many females, um, especially a lot of the females I work with, they can benefit going into a ketogenic diet for a period of time, um, just to help improve, you know, energy levels. You know, they have, like I said, I benefited from a little bit less food focus when, you know, having those blood sugar spikes and dips throughout the day that can really hinder, you know, overall health and, um, lead to metabolic inflexibility, um, you know, things like that, insulin resistance. So there's a lot of, like you mentioned, you know, just a lot of benefits to keto, but for women specifically, um, a few of the things that I found is that women who go keto, they have great results. Um, but sometimes there's people who like myself are kind of, you know, we get good results and we're like, Oh, we want to go, we want to do more. We want to go further. So, you know, for example, implementing intermittent fasting with keto is something that's very popular, but sometimes we can just go so far down that fasting rabbit hole where we're just like, okay, you know, maybe I did, you know, a 12 hour fast. I felt great. I'm going to do 14 and then just keep going and going. And that's where we can get into a little bit of trouble. Cause again, it just comes back to that overall stress load that your body is experiencing. Um, and so that can lead to some hormonal dysregulation, some other issues, just from a psychological standpoint with um, with food, um, and, and carb, carb phobia, all of that. Um, but with females specifically, I personally like to take the approach where again, assessing where they're coming from, right. If they are overweight, if they're struggling with blood sugar dysregulation or insulin resistance, then, you know, I think keto can be a really good, um, can be a good implementation tool. Right. But I think for women specifically staying there forever and like for a long period of time and not, um, bringing carbs back in can be detrimental just to hormonal responses to overall stress loads. And so that's kind of the approach that I, I like to take. Um, but then also just thinking too, about the, 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 the female themselves, the woman themselves, like their overall stress load. Like if they are someone who is maybe they're, they are a little bit overweight, maybe they are struggling with blood sugar dysregulation, but then they have all these other stressors going on in their life. They are working out, you know, four or five days a week. They're, you know, taking care of their kids. They're not sleeping. Like all of those things are just going to add to that stress load. And so going, you know, on a lower carb keto diet for that, that person might not be the best route. It might be the route that we, okay, let's, let's try to manage all those other things first and then use this protocol. So there's, there's just a lot of different, uh, different ways to kind of go down different, you know, avenues, but it all does, in my opinion, come back to like that overall stress and, and where they're at from in that standpoint. So you said for an average overweight woman, you know, you like to start keto, uh, initially, which I do as well. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and four months, six months, do you kind of wait and see how they're doing? Do you wait till they get their goal weight and then begin to implement carbs? What's your recommendation there? Yeah. So that's probably, again, it's going to be another individual, um, an individual assessment, um, from, you know, how, how far, like how, where they're at. Right. So how, how overweight they are, how, you know, what their metabolic health is, what their history is. Um, some females do really well for, you know, 
six months, even more. Um, some only do, some don't do well from the beginning and then it takes them time to adapt a little bit and then they, they start to feel better. Um, and then others, you know, it, they, they only need a few weeks to, to kind of get their body starting to produce ketones. And then we can start to cycle carbs back in. And this is also going to depend on kind of, I, I, I like to look at it like what side of the spectrum they're on. So if they are, you know, overweight, obese, they're sedentary, they're not working out that much. Um, you know, they're not moving that much, all of that, then they probably have, um, greater capacity to go lower carb, go keto for a longer period of time versus another female who is on the leaner side or is, you know, someone who's working out a lot. Um, they're looking to, uh, maybe build muscle and, and increase their performance. Um, then having carbs, in their diet could be potentially good, um, and help with those things. So yeah, it really just depends like where they're coming from on that side, like within that spectrum. Um, and then also another thing to think about too, is like how, like what's, what has their diet been like beforehand? Right. So if someone who is, you know, has never done keto before, um, but they've been eating more of like a whole foods paleo diet, which is already pretty low carb. Um, they probably have an easier transition period, right. Um, versus someone who has been eating like higher, higher carb for their entire life. And their body has just never really been able to produce ketones or use them for fuel. So it might take longer for them to, to do that. So yeah, it's really very individualized to, to the person, but for females specifically that I work with, um, I, I have a keto for women program, which is about 12 weeks long. And I think that is a very, um, we like, we, bring carbs back in, but we do it in a way that is very strategic and it's, you know, a, in a way that is supporting their overall goals. And, um, we can get into some of the ways that, that makes sense to, to bring carbs back in if that's someone's goal. Um, but there's, there's a lot of different ways to go about that for yeah. sure. So when they get to the point where they're at, say in the maintenance phase, um, and I know this is also individualized, but about in general, how many carbs, you know, would you recommend? Yeah. So in terms of bringing, you know, carbs back in, I would say that it really like the first place that I like to start implementing carbs, it's, it's not necessarily like a specific number where it's like, Oh, this person's consuming. Well, it could be a certain number, like say someone's consuming, uh, you know, the average 50 grams total carbs per day. And they're looking to, you know, add carbs back in the first place that I generally start is going to be like around their workouts. If they are someone who works out. So pre and post workouts, more specifically post-workout, because we know that, um, working out is, is a great way to get your muscles to be more insulin sensitive. So when you do consume carbohydrates afterwards, your muscles are more likely to take up those carbohydrates, um, and store them as glycogen. Um, versus if you were, you know, at a different time of day, right? So implementing carbs around your workouts, I always say, you know, if you have been keto for a while and you have been around that 50 grams or less, you know, starting with the minimal effective dose first and then titrating up from there. So, you know, implementing like 15 to 20 grams pre and or post-workout and then kind of just titrating up um, depending on how you're feeling um, and, and all that. And then obviously with those carbohydrates, always kind of thinking about, okay, you know, whole food carbs, right. Um, is going to be the best place to start, um, you know, potatoes, more start, start your veggies, things that are a bit easier to digest. Um, and that's another thing because with a lot of people who go keto for a long time, um, they, you know, and they've been low carb for a long time. It's our bodies are kind of just, our bodies are very smart, right. They adapt to what we're doing. So, um, with, you know, if you're just going to go, if you haven't consumed carbs for like months on end and then you go, 
you know, consume a bunch of carbs, the, the digestive enzymes that your body produces, they kind of go dormant a little bit because they're just like, Oh, like you, I, I don't need to be here. Like, I don't need to be around. I don't need to be working because you haven't been giving me carbs. So if you go eat a huge bolus of carbs, like you might not feel that great. Your blood sugar might obviously, you know, kind of go, go haywire. So that's another thing to just pay attention to that. You're not, um, that you're not going too hard, too fast. And you're also consuming carbohydrates that are going to be more, more whole foods, more, you know, have fiber, things like that to help slow that digestion down and kind of support, um, support the reintroduction. Um, so around your workouts would probably be the first place to implement. And like I said, minimal effective dose to start. Um, and then the second place is typically before bed, um, just to help with, um, some serotonin production help some, a lot of females I work with, um, tend to have, and I had this issues myself just falling asleep at night. I was kind of like wired, you know, that wired and tired where your brain just doesn't shut off. Um, so having some, some carbs at night can help with bringing cortisol levels down a little bit. Um, if you are, you know, have some chronic issues with that, um, also having a little bit of fruit before bed can help fuel your liver through the night. So, um, with people, a, a tip that I like to, to give for some people who tend to wake up in the middle of the night is it could be that your blood sugar is dropping. Um, so having a little bit of fruit before bed can help kind of fuel your up the night to, to help with that. Um, I've, I implemented that myself and with a lot of clients and seen great results with that. And you don't need a ton. It's just a little bit of fruit, um, have it with, um, pair it with, a, you know, some Greek yogurt or make like a, a little parfait, you know, before bed. Um, and then also the third place would be, and this one is very much individualized to the person, um, it's going to be like cycling carbs around different times of the month based off of the, the individual cycle. But with that, it's v- at least from what I found, like there's research that says to implement it at certain times based off of how your hormones are fluctuating. But from my coaching experience, every woman is, is so different in the, in the way that they react to that. Even if, you know, the science says, oh, you should implement carbs at this time of the month. I've tried that. And I found that for some people it's, it's opposite times that work better for them. So with implementing carbs around your cycle, that is going to be very, very individualized. And it's going to take time to kind of just track how you react to that. So those would probably be the, the three like places that I would start okay. or ways that I would start. Yeah. So if the diehard keto people out there, um, are asking, you know, what would be wrong with just staying in ketosis forever? You know, if they feel, they mm-hmm. say, I feel, I feel good, you know, being in keto for, you know, pretty much all the time, uh, what would be wrong with that? Yeah. So, I mean, if they're, again, it, it comes back to, to how you're feeling and how you're acting there's not necessarily anything wrong with, with staying in ketosis for forever. But if you start to notice things that are, you know, adverse or you're starting to have issues, um, with, you know, hormonal dysregulation or hunger cravings are starting like cravings and hunger are starting to skyrocket or stress is starting to increase, or you're not, you know, sleep is starting to take a hit. Like there's all these different symptoms that, that may arise that might say, Hey, maybe we need to try something different. But if, if you are not having any of those symptoms, right. If you are doing great. If you're, you know, thriving in everything you're doing, then I, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with staying yeah. keto for a while, but it's going to come back to how you're acting from my experience. Um, I, I've rare, like rarely met someone who hasn't had any adverse effects after going for a long, long period of time, especially as a female, um, with males, probably a little, a little bit different just based off of the that those hormonal fluctuations. 
Gotcha. So I, I'm pretty sure you mentioned this at the beginning, the term metabolic flexibility, and um, this shouldn't be a foreign term to my listeners, but that's not something that I necessarily talk about all the time. And so uh, to me, that's the ultimate goal uh, is to becoming metabolically mm-hmm. flexible. So if you will define metabolic flexibility, and then what's the, like, how do we get there? How do we stay there? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I completely agree. I think metabolic flexibility, um, should be the, the end goal. I, I don't think there is a, like, uh, I guess you would actually get to that end goal. It's something that you want to strive for, but there's no way to like really say, okay, this person is metabolically flexible, like, and they'll be metabolically flexible forever. It's really just kind of tinkering with different things and, and playing around different things as the individual. Um, but just to, to kind of define metabolic flexibility, it's basically, I like to define it as the ability to kind of use the full spectrum of your metabolism, right? So it's your ability, your body's ability to adapt and just use whatever fuel is available, available to it at the time that it's warranted, right? So you're able to kind of efficiently shift back and forth between using our two, two primary fuel sources, which one is fat in the form of fatty acids and ketones. And then the other primary fuel source would be carbohydrates, you know, in the form of glucose, sugar, um, all of that. So, um, with metabolic flexibility, it's really just your body's ability to adapt and use those different fuels when it's warranted. So if we kind of think about, you know, from an ancestral and genetic perspective, um, research actually estimates that about 95 plus percent of our genetics and our DNA hasn't really changed in over the last 10,000 ish years, but obviously our lifestyles have changed dramatically. Um, even within the last hundred years. So transition from, you know, hunter gatherers to, you know, farming factory and all of that. And now we have food available to us, obviously like all the time, right. Delivery dudes, grocery store in every corner, all of that. So a lot of people are metabolically inflexible now, whereas we used to be so metabolically flexible. And so that's really where the issue lies is that a lot of people are so reliant and and so used to just eating tons and tons of carbs. Right. And so they've pushed themselves so far on that metabolic inflexibility side of things. Um, but then also thinking about those people who have gone keto for a very, very long time and maybe even super, super low carb, they can actually become metabolically inflexible on that side. So there's a kind of, I like to use spectrums, right? So with metabolic flexibility, you can be metabolically inflexible on the side where your body, um, doesn't know how to tap into its fat storage or tap into using ketones for fuel. But then on the other side of it, you can become metabolically inflexible if you've been so you know, reliant on ketones for a long period of time. And then, you know, your body just kind of doesn't really know and doesn't recognize carbohydrates efficiently anymore to process them. So I guess answering your last question about being low, being keto forever, that might be, um, something to consider. Like if you are looking to use carbohydrates to fuel different activities, like if, if you're metabolically inflexible from a, from that side of the spectrum, it might not be, um, the best, you know, the best route to go if you are looking to incorporate carbs at some point. Right. So just to kind of keep that in mind, but in terms of staying metabolically flexible, it's really, um, there's not really like one way, but there's definitely ways to, um, you know, kind of achieve or continue to achieve metabolic flexibility. And this is going to first, you know, depend on what side of the spectrum you're on. Right. So if you're closer to that, um, you know, higher carb, some people call it like sugar burners, right. you gradually, you know, you want to reduce your carbon take to 
you know, produce ketones to kind of tap into that, those fat stores, tap into your body's ability to use ketones as fuel. Um, if you're on the other side of the spectrum, if you're solely a fat burner, um, then gradually increasing your carbon take, you know, like I said, from whole foods is going to be a way to, um, help you become a little bit more metabolic flexible from that standpoint. Um, and then also just like the biggest thing is probably to become or to, you know, maintain metabolic flexibility, cycling macronutrients, right? So cycling carbs, cycling periods of, you know, higher carb, lower carb, not necessarily high, high carb, but more carbs, um, with periods of less carbs, implementing fasting protocols, you know, just different, uh, not saying that you have to fast forever or anything like that, but just like periods of time when you're maybe reducing your, your eating window that can really help with, um, promoting more metabolic flexibility, um, working out in different energy systems, right. So doing some aerobic and anaerobic work, whether it's, um, you know, whatever type of exercise you're doing, just implementing different because metabolic flexibility, isn't just nutrition, right. It's everything, right. It's your, your body's ability to use different fuel sources. And you want to be able to do that during your exercise as well. Right. So if you're, um, if you are just walking outside, you know, brisk walk, you don't necessarily want to be using carbohydrates for fuel, but if your body's not able to tap into its fat stores and its ketone stores efficiently, then you might be using carbohydrates for, um, you know, uh, an exercise that you don't, you shouldn't be right. So metabolic flexibility is also in the realm of like energy systems and exercise and all of that. Um, and then also just all other lifestyle factors, like optimizing, you know, your sleep, paying attention to recovery, stress, all, all those things that are the least sexy things that, that no one wants to pay attention to, but make really the biggest difference. So Sure. I'm going to stop rambling. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to ask you about protein. And uh, as I was scrolling through your podcast, I noticed you recently had uh, Dr. Ted Naiman on your podcast, as I, I did as well on my podcast. Matter of fact, it was right around the same time, I think, uh, that he was on yours. And so he, you know, really advocates for, um, you know, a higher protein intake and that that should really be the kind of the foundation of everything. And I had another doctor, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, on my show mm -hmm. that um, has a, a similar, you know, idea that, you know, just get through, get your protein and then, you know, first then worry about everything else. So what's your recommendation is as far as protein specifically, uh, as it pertains to women? Yeah. So I am definitely in the, the high protein camp, um, especially for women, a lot, like most of the females that come to me that I work with are especially coming from keto are under eating protein. Um, when, there, there was kind of this, this phase that the keto world, I guess, went through where, um, you know, people started to get afraid of higher protein. Cause they were like, Oh, you know, gluconeogenesis, it's going to, you know, affect your blood sugar and all that. Um, and a lot of that's like, maybe there's a very small percentage of the population where higher protein approach might not be the best. Um, and it does, you know, have some adverse effects, but for most people, especially females who are looking to optimize their overall health, body composition, longevity, I'm definitely in the camp of, of higher protein. Um, and I think that it's, it's something that even just within the study that I did, you know, years ago, six, seven years ago, however many that was within that CrossFit and keto study, we actually didn't control for protein. We just said, Hey, reduce your carbs to about 50 grams per day and let, let your protein and fat kind of fall where they may. And, um, that, you know, they had success without, you know, necessarily lowering their protein intake. Um, I think that with the standard keto protocol, where it is very moderate to low protein, that is probably only applicable for someone who is trying to 
treat a, a disease state, right? And they maybe they're really looking to, you know, skyrocket their ketone levels as much as they can. And sometimes, you know, with them, maybe protein is hindering that a little bit, but that would be kind of like the only populations that I would see limiting protein would be, yeah. would be advantageous. So gotcha. that's my take on it. <laughs> okay. Well, so before we get off of, of nutrition and diet, um, if you will take us through your daily routine of what you eat. So you're young, healthy, you look fit. So what does Rachel Gregory eat on a day, daily basis? <laughs> Sure. So I, right now, um, I am, I, I eat pretty much this, actually I've eaten pretty much the same thing for breakfast, um, for the last like three years. Um, and sometimes with me, I sometimes, some days I fast a little bit, you know, through breakfast and I'll eat breakfast around like 10 30, 11. Sometimes I'll wake up and I'll, I'll want to eat a little bit earlier. So I really kind of that's something that I struggle with in the past is I did go down that fasting rabbit hole where I just would like push my food off so, so far in the day, because I was trying to like hit that, you know, 14, 16 hours. And for me, that was a little bit, uh, just not, not a good thing. Um, if I, cause I went too far down that, that road. So right now I, I don't try to force fasting, but it does because I consider myself to be metabolically flexible. If I do need to fast, it's, it's not a, like a, it's not hard. Um, so for example, right now it's 1240 my time in, um, in California. And I actually have only had coffee this morning and I feel fine. Um, but typically I'll have, uh, like a, sounds weird, but it's a squash yogurt bowl. Um, I'm really obsessed with kabocha squash. Have you ever had that? Uh, I have not, but just squash and yogurt together sounds really disgusting. I have to say it. <laughs> It is actually very good. Um, maybe I shouldn't tell you about the rest of my food. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. Um, no, but it's, I, I bake it. It's like winter squash with some cinnamon and salt. And it, it's very, it's very actually sweet tasting. So it goes well, in my opinion, with, with yogurt. And then I add some frozen berries and some nuts and seeds on top of that. And that's like a, a yogurt bowl. That's my breakfast. It keeps me um, full and satisfied for a long period of time. It also has a good, um, good amount of carbs in there from the, the squash from the winter squash, um, a little bit starchier than like, a, you know, a summer squash, like a zucchini. Um, and then I, I work out around lunchtime. Typically I'll have, um, you know, I'll eat that as my kind of pre-workout and then I'll go work out and then come back, um, have a post-workout meal, which is typically more squash, um, with a lean protein, some veggies for volume and fiber. Um, and then dinner is typically a lower carb, um, higher protein. So typically just meat and veggies. Um, and then nighttime I'll have, I'll make some protein ice cream, add a little bit of fruit in there. Um, and that's a typical day. I like to add, if I'm going to increase my carbs, I like to do it. Like I said, um, around my workout mostly. Um, so, you know, kind of, I, I like to say, I like to give the kind of recommendation of about 50% of your total carbs, um, around your workouts. Um, and then the other, the other meals can be more lower carb, higher protein, higher fat. Um, and that's, that's typically a good, good way to kind of structure the day for most people. So what, what do you think you're, where do you think you're at on your macros as far as percentage of carbs, protein, and fat? Do you ever kind of check that? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am definitely uh, higher protein. Um, I like to actually eat body weight and maybe a little bit higher than that. So um, with protein, it's always at least a gram per pound, sometimes a little bit higher just because I really enjoy protein um, for my carbohydrates. That's typically on training days. I'll have a little bit higher carbs. Um, like sometimes I'll go up to like 150 uh, total carbs, maybe even a little bit more, depending on if it's like a leg day or not. Um, and then on non-training days, because I just don't typically need that, that much, I'll, I'll bring it back down, um, in terms of carbs, a little bit lower carb and, and have a little bit higher fat on those days. Um, and then with fat intake, it really just kind of fills in the rest of my, my calories. Um, but I am someone who loves to experiment. So I tend to change things up a lot. Yeah, um, yeah I, I do as well. And I, I think yeah. it's an important, important point. What you just mentioned, you said on your higher carb days, you get maybe 150 carbs. You know, that's really not a lot of carbs for the standard yeah. American out there. And so that's kind of high carbs to you. But mm -hmm. You know, I think what the average American gets 300, uh, you know, probably carbs a day. And that's not an athlete. That's just, you know, the standard uh, American. Yeah. So anyway, that's important to note that your definition of a higher carb. And I was kind of wondering that is, you know, that 150 range. And so that's probably way lower than just the average American. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Well, cool. Well, let's get in. You, you mentioned some fasting. Um, and so I want to talk about that briefly. So what is your recommendation? Again, I know it's individualized, but what is mm. your recommendation for, for fasting that maybe somebody says, Hey, I've never done this before. I want to, I want to start out. I want to try this intermittent fasting thing. I've heard a lot about it. Uh, what do you advise somebody? Yeah. So, I mean, just really taking it as like from a practical standpoint, right. If someone's completely new to fasting, um, I like to actually, you know, if they're completely new to fasting and keto and they're looking to, you know, implement a ketogenic diet, I think implementing like a lower carb approach first can actually help ease that transition into fasting, right? Because we know that they kind of go hand in hand, um, in terms of using ketones for fuel, when you fast, you, you know, tap into being able to use those ketones for fuel. So, um, it's just another kind of approach to, um, getting into a state of ketosis. But if someone is completely new to fasting, um, you know, maybe starting a lower carb protocol and then kind of easing into it, um, can be a, a good way to, to introduce it. And really just, you know, like I said, being practical about it, like starting with an overnight fast, right. Just stop eating at, you know, 8 PM maybe, and then start have breakfast at 8 AM. Right. And that's a very, that's a short, that's like a 12 hour, right. That's what most people do. And then keep kind of just pushing that off a little bit. Maybe you, um, and this is also going to depend on, you know, if you're someone who likes to eat in the morning more, or sorry, in the, the beginning of the day more versus the end of the day, there is, you know, some, some research behind, you know, circadian rhythm and all of that. I found that it really just comes back to the individual and what, what works best with them um, and what they can adhere to. Um, but it's really just kind of like, okay, it's starting with a, you know, a fasting window and just looking to, you know, tick off some time, you know, as you go, as you become, um, you know, more, your body adapts to it more. Um, and then just kind of, you know, playing around with it and, and realizing too, that you don't need to necessarily fast every single day, right. You can go through periods of, you can even, you know, go through, you know, a week of implanting intermittent fasting that a week of not, you can do that within days and, and things like that. There's so many different protocols, as you know. Um, but for me, it's really just going to come down to like, what can the person adhere to the best, right? Because if they can't adhere to it, then it's not, it's not going to be something that lasts. So it's really, that's really the main thing that I, that I focus on. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and lastly, I want to talk about some weight training, um, or just exercise in general. 
and just kind of getting your general recommendation again, specifically for women and kind of a two-part question. The first one is, again, I probably have a different type of population, but you know, when people come to see me, I mean, they're just, you know, not really moving much and they're overweight. And so my primary goal is just to get them to move. Uh, and, and so my first question is, what is your recommendation recommendation on somebody that just really has been fairly sedentary? How do you get them going? And then second question is somebody maybe that is just, you know, maybe in a little bit better shape, but uh, a, a woman in particular that just wants to, to build muscle and, and just obviously most women want to lose body fat. What's your recommendation for that? Sure. So the first one um, for someone who's just new to you know, training or new to just moving, like that would be the first thing. Start, start moving, start like getting out and just walk. Like walking is so underrated. I think so many people are like, Oh, like walking, it's whatever, but it's, I think that's super, super underrated um, for a lot of people. So just getting out and, and implementing some walking, getting some accountability behind it, right. Making it a habit um, is the first thing. And then in terms of like lifting weights and, and finding something, you know, to help you to build some more muscle, which I think is super important. I personally just kind of ask if I have a client like that, I'll ask them like, what do they enjoy or what do they think that, that they would enjoy? Or, you know, if they think back to, you know, they're like when they were a kid or like, what did they do that they, they like to do? Um, so whether it's, you know, finding some type of, um, like exercise class or finding someone to, to work out with, like, I'm totally, that's, that's the route that I would go down because again, if you're not gonna, you have to find something that you enjoy doing, because if you don't, then you're just not going to stick to it for a period of time. Um, so, so anybody who's new to, you know, training, it's always just going to be like, all right, what do you think that you'll, you're, you'll enjoy the most. And then also not trying to go from like zero to a hundred, right? Like you don't need to go from zero days of training to five days of training a week, right? Just mm -hmm ease into it. A few days a week is more than enough, especially for a beginner, right? Because as you're a beginner, your, your body's going to, you know, you're going to get those newbie gains, people call it right. So your body will start to change with just a minimal, minimal dose, minimal effective dose. And then as you get more advanced, then that's when you want to add more in. But if you're a beginner and you go from zero to five days of training or four days of training, like it's just unnecessary. And you're actually doing yourself a little bit of a disservice because you're missing out on those, um, quote unquote newbie gains. Right. Um, so the biggest thing is finding something that you enjoy testing out different things. Um, finding, you know, support. So maybe that is from like a CrossFit class or an environment like that. Um, and then as you get more advanced to kind of go towards your second question, um, if your main goal is to, you know, if you're a female, your main goal is to, to build muscle and change your body composition, then you do have to get a little bit more specific with what you're doing. You have to kind of think about the, the training that you're doing. I know for me, I did a ton of CrossFit and I got to a point where, um, I wasn't seeing any changes within my body composition and that became my main goal. So I switched gears and started to follow more of a progressive program, more hypertrophy based focus on actually building muscle. Right. Um, and with that, you know, making sure that I'm eating enough protein, eating enough food in general, especially if you're on, you know, the leaner side and you're looking to build muscle. Um, also the recovery side of things is something that I, <laughs> I ignored for a while. Um, especially from coming from CrossFit, I was just like, go, go, go. I need to train, you know, five or six days a week. And I just wasn't paying attention to recovery. And that is something that I see a lot of, especially females who are more in that type A personality that they miss out on. They think more is better. Um, and a lot of people don't realize like, especially if your goal is to build muscle, you're, you're not building muscle when you're working out, you're breaking down your muscles, right? You're breaking them down. You're, 
you know, creating these little micro tears that need to repair themselves. If you don't give yourself rest days, if you're not recovering and fueling yourself appropriately, that muscle is not going to repair efficiently. You're not going to, to grow and, and, and build muscle. And, and then also if you're not fueling yourself appropriately, um, to build that muscle, then you're just going to, you're just going to spin your wheels. So that's probably recovery, making sure you're fueling appropriate, making sure that you are following a program that is structured, has progression. Um, you know, you're being intentional about what you're doing, you're, you're being patient with the process, um, all of that. Okay, perfect. Well, uh, so you have a podcast, um, Met Flex and Chill. Make sure <laughs> yes. I got that right. So just tell us a little bit about your podcast, how long you've been doing it. And, uh, I mean, obviously you talk a lot about nutrition and health and the things we've been talking about, but just kind of, you know, give us a summary of, you know, what you do on your podcast. Sure. So yeah, Netflix and chill is obviously just a playoff Netflix and chill. I thought it'd be something that people would, uh, think was funny. So, and then, you know, intriguing kind of clickbaity, but, um, it's really just, a. Uh, my business is Metflex Life. So all about metabolic flexibility and kind of like everything I mentioned before, that's really what I'm passionate about is just having, you know, teaching people that um, you can benefit from all these different protocols. You can benefit from lower carb. You can benefit from implementing more carbs um, and, you know, having metabolic flexibility as the end goal I found to be kind of the, the getting the best of both worlds um, for health, longevity, performance, body composition, all of that. Um, so that's what my podcast is really geared around, just bringing experts on within the space, nutrition, exercise, um, and just all different views, right? Someone who, even someone who is totally against keto, like I want to have them on because I want to hear their perspective. I want to hear, you know, I want to kind of pick their brain on that. So that's what the podcast is geared around, just getting experts from the space. Um, and then also I do solo episodes like Q and A episodes, um, just answering questions all within the realm of nutrition and exercise. Perfect. Okay. Uh, so your website is, um, metflexlife.com. Is that the best mm-hmm. way to connect with you? If somebody wants to work with you? Yeah. Metflexlife.com that has all of, um, all the resources on there, my podcast. Um, and then on social media, I'm most active on Instagram right now at rachelgregory.cns is my handle. And then the podcast, Metflex and Chill, yeah. Well, um, so I always uh, wrap up by asking my guests if they could give us one health tip that would make us healthier today. What would you say to that? Get outside and walk. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Simple. Yeah. But yeah. very effective. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually a great one. Uh, not only do we, you know, obviously move and get exercise, but we get sunlight and, you know, Mm -hmm. which I I think is, is underrated. We don't get outside enough in nature and, um, yeah, we've been making our kids do that more and they hate us for it, but I get tired (laughs) of them looking at a video screen, you know, when they get home all day. So we make them weather permitting, we make them just get outside and they're like, what are we supposed to do? And I'm like, I don't care. Just (laughs) be outside. So, uh, no, I think that's great. So, All right. Well, anything else that you want to throw out there that I didn't ask you? Um, I think we covered a lot. (laughs) Okay. Very good. Uh, Well, certainly appreciate your time and and, uh, expertise on uh, this subject. So yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And I appreciate you guys listening and uh, we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to FitRx. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlifedc.com. Or you can email me at drgreg at vibrantlifedc.com.